Receive the word of the Lord. What great affirmation. I needed it. And God gave it to me. When I announce my title, you'll know why. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew the 11th chapter. Begin reading with verse number 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples... He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison, in the prison, amen, he heard about it in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples And he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? I'm going to read that same passage from Luke's perspective. Luke chapter 7, verse 17 says, And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all these things. They told him. They carried the message to him. And John, in prison calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? I want to use as a subject today, and that's kind of like clouds. They disappear real quick. But my subject today is living in spite of life. Amen. Say it with me. Living in spite of life. Amen. God, we need you today. I am not adequate to do what needs to be done, but I'm asking for your sovereign hand to rest upon us for the remaining portion of this service. Anoint our lips, our minds, and our hearts that we might receive your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Brother Sam, it is so good to see you this morning. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his goodness. Life is filled with many transitions changes, shifts, movements, things that 
alter our present situation or modify life to some way that we have been used to or how things have normally gone. And I think more often than not, those are the aggravations that drive us to distraction. It is not always the problem itself, but it is the shift that has taken place so suddenly, often, uh, quickly, those changes take place and we weren't prepared for them. We weren't ready for that to happen. And life is no longer as it was. It has changed and it has been altered. And so, because of that flux and flow of life, there is, uh, there's one uh, day that we're on top of the world and the very next moment we're reaching up to touch bottom. There's no way to know when those transitions come. We try our best to prepare ourselves, but sometimes they can come the most inopportune time in what we would consider our life and our plans. But that's life. I'm not a young man any longer, but I'm really not that old. I might feel older than I am, but I have lived long enough to know that life is very unpredictable. I know we like things to be settled, and we don't like things to be in question, and Those questions are what drive us, Uh, the unknown, the reasoning behind, understanding all that. And so hard, often it is hard when you're in the middle of something to understand it. It takes distance. You've got to get away from it to be able to look back on it and understand it or be able to make sense out of it. But when you're in the middle of it, when it's going on right now, when it's active, you know, we always, we're, we, we have a lot of armchair quarterbacks in life that, that can sit home and watch something transpire and say, oh, if I was there, I would have done something different. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have run that play. The reality is you're not there. And it's a whole different ball game, wouldn't, pardon the pun, but when you're there, and the pressure's on you in that moment and you've got to make this decision or that decision. And one could lead to victory and one could lead to defeat. It's hard to know. Now, when you get away from it, that's why they study game films and football and, and baseball. They study their opponents because they want to see where their flaws or their weaknesses or their habits show up. Really, they want to see where they misplayed something. Because you have better perspective here. And this is where we would like to be able to live life. We'd like to, to, to live life where this, this right here is our actual life going on. But we can live it from this perspective. When we live like this, I mean, it's obvious to know right turn, left turn, go forward, step back, move over, get on your knees, get up. But when you're here. It's hard sometimes to be able to filter all of the stuff going on because when you get under pressure, all of us are alike. We go into survival mode. And when pressures are really intense, 
that level of survival goes even higher and it blocks some of our cognitive thinking skills. It, I, I, I'm not saying we go brain dead, but there's something very close to it that happens. Because later on we get to, and, and we say this, I don't know what I was thinking. The truth is that when you're in the middle of something, it is often hard to think the way you need to think. And so that's life. Get over it. <laughs> go get you an ice cream cone and go sit on a park bench and cry all you want to. But it's not going to change the reality that is, is in for everybody in this building today. That's just life. You can't. Change it. It was designed to be that way for many reasons that we come to know later on in life. But those changes that come are what really set us off. And some of you are going through that right now. And you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. Why am I having to deal with this at this stage in my life? I thought I was beyond this. I thought I had gotten over this. And yet it has resurrected itself in your life and, and, and you're in the throes of a battle that you need to understand what is going on. And the best way I can help you see that is to see how another man went through a very similar episode in his own life. His name was John. We call him John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Christ. He was prophesied by Isaiah to be the one who would come, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord and make straight his paths in the desert. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of God shall be revealed. This was the prophecy concerning John before he ever got here, before he ever became flesh, God had already stamped his life with divine purpose. And then when he comes and when it is announced that he is coming, the angels come to announce that. What a, what a grand privilege. I don't know of anybody in this building that's had the birth of your child announced by an angel. But an angel showed up one day to Zechariah and said, Zechariah, God's heard your prayers. And you and your wife Elizabeth. And he's thinking, oh, that can't be. Kind of like Abraham and Sarah. But God can do anything. Amen. God can do anything. And he made him understand that there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. And so... There, there came the promise and soon the movements of a baby in the womb of a mother who had been barren. And then the Bible says that when, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, her relative, that, that her baby, Elizabeth's baby, leapt in the womb uh, at the very presence of the Messiah, the child of that was the promise of the whole earth. What a, what, what a, an unbelievable testimony John had from the very beginning. 
And then when he grows into manhood, we find him, first of all, we are, we, we meet him in Matthew chapter three. And, and if you begin reading in verse one, it said, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle around his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. And then he went out, uh, or they went out, all of Jerusalem and and Judea went out to hear this wild man of the desert as he preached. And when he preached, he preached with such fervor and conviction that even the Pharisees and the Sadducees were moved. He preached about vipers. He called them a generation of vipers. And he preached about repentance and not hiding behind the, the, the genes of Abraham as some kind of protection that you're not going to be protected from the eyes of a just God. You're going to have to repent. Everybody's going to have to repent. And he baptized men under repentance. Somebody said, what did John say over them when he baptized them? I think he said, I baptize you unto repentance because the name had not been given that at that at that point, other than by the angels and, and the birth, but the, the real revelation of who Jesus was, wasn't there, but he baptized them. He had such a tremendous impact that the whole countryside was moved by John's message. It would be like barnstorming the United States and in every city, every major city, the Colosseums would be filled to hear what he had to say. The angel announced his birth. And then when he came, he was destined to be that one who would go before and prepare the way. And Matthew chapter 3, and when he saw them, the Sadducees, he, he commanded them to repent and so forth. And all of that involved this beginning. He spent his entire ministry, however short it might have been, he spent it elevating one thing, and that was the Christ that was to come. John 1, 29, he said, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is he whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come to baptize with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on him, and I knew him not. But he that was sent, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same saith unto me, unto whom thou shalt See the Spirit descending and remaining on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. He must increase, 
I must decrease. Amen. His life was marked by a boldness that was unparalleled. I'm telling you, it takes more than just guts to call the religious generation of vipers. It took more than just a type A personality. It took the anointing of God, and it was on him. The fruit that he demanded, repentance. He demanded fruit of repentance from people. His clarion voice shook the religious circles of Jerusalem, and yet he was so humble that he girded himself with the simplest of attire and ate the simplest of food. And yet, a man who was so fearless to stand before Herod and call him what he was, an adulterer. (laughs) He stood face to face, eye to eye, said, Herod, what you're doing is wrong. It's a violation of the law of God. You cannot have your brother's wife. It's adultery. You're going to be in trouble with God for how this is the man who had no fear to stand before king or peasant and tell them what God expected out of them. (laughs) Anointed. uh, Powerful. (laughs) These words are not even adequate to describe spiritual. A man who was fearless and faithful. It's hard to imagine. Knowing that, understanding that, and then go back to our text that we read from and understand that this is the same man. This is not another John. This is the John. This same bold, courageous, fearless man who isn't afraid to look sin in the eye and call it what it is, no matter where he finds it, is now sitting alone. In a prison cell. And things come out of John. That are shocking. That are almost. Too hard to believe. Is it possible. That this man. Who was of such great faith. That he reached out and took hold of the promises of God. Concerning himself. And he lived to fulfill every one of them. Amen. He is now sitting alone. I read this the other morning early. This is what happens when I get up early. And I thought, what changed? When you, when you take these two pictures that I've tried to paint for you, one of them from our scripture text, the other one from the setting that I've tried to lay so far, when you put these two pictures side by side, they don't, they don't go together. It doesn't make sense. How could a man who was so anointed and who was so blessed and so called and so chosen be filled with so much doubt? How, how do you, how, how does, how do you make sense of this? This man who Announcement of birth came from the voices of angels and, and the fulfillment of his life was everything that scripture had prophesied that it would be. And yet now he is somewhere in a dark prison cell 
unvisited except by his disciples. Some historians say that at this point, John could have been in that prison cell for as much as six months. Six months. Now, if we don't hear from God once a week, we get a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Well, I prayed. God just doesn't seem to be, he's not interested in my prayers. But John, he's gone six months. There is no evidence in scripture or history that Jesus ever visited him in prison. Not one. None. And here he is. I'm trying to figure this out. How, what happened? How, where, what was the shift? What took place in John's life to alter his, his mind and his thinking to such a degree that he doesn't even seem like the same person? Seems like a, some kind of dual personality here. Maybe he's bipolar. He's not bipolar. He's just dealing with life. And the changes that come in life that you can't always figure out and make sense of. And they come at the most inopportune time. And they come when you least expect them. And this is what the Lord began to talk to me. Number one, John began to let the external circumstances affect the internal issues. He let what was going on around him start getting to him. Now, you know what? Ships are made to sail the roughest seas. When they build a ship, they don't build it for show. They don't build it thinking that all it's ever going to see are sunny days and calm seas and beautiful beaches. When the architect sits down to design that ship, he has to take into account the worst scenarios, the hardest winds, the roughest waves. And all of those calculations go into the designing of that ship so that when it does encounter those circumstances, it's made to make it. And you hear me this morning, you and I were made to make it no matter what the external present situation may be saying in our life. Amen. No matter what it says, when God designed you, when God called you, when God anointed you, when God blessed you, He didn't bless you to be bummed out now. He didn't anoint you to be annoyed now. Hallelujah. And those ships can deal with any kind of storm. As long as the storm stays outside the boat and doesn't get in the boat. (laughs) 
And something began to happen to John's boat in that prison. And the waters that were outside began to seep on the inside. And a man had had been so bold, had been so courageous, that had been so anointed, has questions and he's got doubts now and he's wondering, is he the one or do we look for another? He let events, listen to me, he let events and his life overcome the experiences of his life. He should have already known enough to know that whatever this present moment is, it does not change what I have already experienced. He had already experienced anointing. He had already experienced blessing. He had already experienced the hand of God using him to bring thousands upon thousands of people to their knees in repentance. And people were repenting that hadn't even been thinking about repenting until John started preaching. But he let his present experience trump his experience. Now, we sang about it. He's already done enough. I mean, there's not a person in this building that doesn't have at least one miracle in your life. At least one. And most of us have multitudes. But the simple fact, some of you are just sitting on a pew right now and not in a grave is the miracle in itself. Because something could have taken you out a long time ago. That accident that almost was, or that wreck that wasn't as bad as it could have been, or that diagnosis that turned out to be something else. Our lives could have been altered greatly. But the hand of God was on us then. And I've got news for you. Whether you're in a prison this morning or not, God's hand is still on your life. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where I am. And he has not forsaken me, nor has he left me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He let his present position affect his disposition. I'm going to let you stew on that one for a minute. Some of us are struggling with some attitudes right now that are going to sink us if we don't get a handle on them. Amen. Amen. Not everybody's against you. Not everybody's mad at you. They may not understand you, but they're not. That's the biggest problem. We don't understand each other. But we let... Our position, where we are, began to affect our disposition. And where, where at one moment we were so sure, we were so certain, now we don't know. I don't know what I believe anymore, Brother Hughes. I don't even know if I do believe. I've had that 
said to me over and over and over by people in the last few years that are going, and I'm, I'm trying to talk to them and reason with them and say, hey, don't make that kind of assertion. Don't set that in stone. Don't pour concrete around that because that's just a present moment. There's going to be a change coming in your life, and you don't want to set something in concrete that's just temporary to make it a permanent part of your life. Some of us are having to get a jackhammer right now and go back and break some stuff up that we poured in concrete 10 years ago. And now we've lived long enough to know that was a bad mistake. We shouldn't have thought that. We shouldn't have said that. We shouldn't have done that. But we're now, we're now trying to get a jackhammer and break down what we had said as an unchanging thing in life. They'll never do that. They'll never say that. And we etch it in stone. And his setting became his down setting. Amen. This is what the Lord began to speak to me early Friday morning. He let his environment begin to affect his thinking. That's the only thing that's different in John's life is his environment. God hadn't lifted his hand off of him. God hasn't uncalled him. The callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't say, I want you to be my child. Oop, 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 oh, oh, man, I made a, I'm sorry. My, 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 my mistake. I don't care how many times you fail. I don't care how many times you falter. I don't care how many mistakes. I don't matter how many blunders. I don't care what kind of mess you make of life. When God puts a calling on your life, that calling is not good. God's not going to say, oh, I'm sorry. I must have not. I didn't see that one coming. God knew me before I was born. He knew me when I was still the embryo before I was ever a child. He knew me in that stage. But if we're not careful, we start letting the environment we're in right now start working on this right here. And folks, I'm going to tell you what, this right here can get you in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Paul said, I think myself happy. Now, I know sometimes people say, that's not the context. Well, it is for me. Because I've discovered that you can think yourself happy or you can think yourself miserable. You make a choice. You can sit here with the mully grub. You can gripe and complain. And you can find reasons and faults. And it's her fault or his fault or their fault or this fault or that fault. And the truth is the problem is not out here. The problem is in here, right here, between my ears. This is where the victory starts. This is where my overcoming begins. It begins in my mind. It begins in my thought life. It begins there at the seat of who I am. That's what determines what I'm going to be and where I'm going to go and how God's going to bless my life. Amen. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. I'm almost through. He led his in by his setting, his location, his surroundings. He led his mind... Talk him out of his revelation. 
You know, amazing thing happened to David. I love to talk about David. I love to study David's life. <clears throat> Just as a young man, God calls him, and and he he comes into Saul's court, and then Saul becomes extremely jealous of him because he saw the hand of God on him. He saw the blessings of God on him. And so he hated him. Isn't it terrible to be hated and not even know why you're hated? You're just hated because you're anointed. You're hated because God's blessed you. And Saul hated him. And so he began to, to, to show that anger. He vented his anger. He threw a javelin at him one day. And David realized at that moment, if I'm going to live, I better get out of this place. And so he runs. And that began a long journey of running. And I never have forgotten the day I read in Chronicles. The Bible said, and Saul pursued him every day. Not just Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but every day. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every day. Every day, every day, David got up knowing that Saul's right out there somewhere. Two occasions, their paths crossed. They were in the same cave. David wouldn't lay his hand on God's anointed, even though God's anointed at that time was annoying God himself. He didn't lay his hand on him. And then he reveals that he had been there and saw at that moment in First Samuel, I think about 27, 28, somewhere in there is where this story takes place. 27, the end of the chapter. He speaks to Saul and he tells him, I was in the cave. I could have taken your life, but I would not lift my hand against God's anointing. And Saul had a revelation. Something broke in Saul that day. And he realized and he said, I will not pursue you any longer. And he did not pursue him any further. But you start chapter 28 and look at what happens. Somebody throw up chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 28 verse 1. I think that's the right one. If it's not, I'll find out real quick. Hello everybody out there in cyberland. 1 Samuel, got it? 1 Samuel, can you find it that quick? And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight against Israel. And Achish said unto David, now that's not it. Let me get, let me get my Bible out here. Let me get it. It may be the next chapter. Just hang on right there. Don't, don't move that yet. First Samuel, I should have had it marked. First Samuel chapter 20. Where'd it go? Well, it's in here. David said to himself, this is what the scripture says. I'll find it in a minute. But David said to himself, Saul didn't say it. David said it. David said to himself, I'm going to die by the hand of Saul one of these days. Now, Saul had already told him, I'm not going to pursue you anymore. But David said, I'm going to die. He said, he's talking to himself. He said, I'm going to die at the hands 
of Saul. And so what did he do? He got up and went to his enemy and joined himself to his enemies, the Philistines, because of some messed up thinking. That's what can happen in us. Is that, yeah, there it is. And David said in his heart, chapter 27, I knew it was close. I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And there is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And this is what the Lord said. You hurt yourself more often than your enemy ever has. By allowing your mind to take on the context of your environment and to let your thought life be influenced by what you're going through right now. And it's hard. That's why you have to keep your mind girded, the loins of your mind girded. That's why Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. I believe that's what he had in mind, that my mind becomes, I become my own worst enemy. I've said it before, I don't need a devil to be bad. I can do that all by myself. But I let that stuff get in my mind and I let it start working on them. Well, they don't like me or they don't understand me or they're never going to, and this is not going to work. And that's, and we talk ourselves down into our environment. And the truth was not one thing had changed in John's life as far as God was concerned. He was still his call. He was still his chosen. The reason I know that is because when John's disciples left, Jesus said, now let me tell you about John. Let me tell you about him. He's not a reed shaken in the wind. He was a prophet. John didn't ever hear that. But nothing had changed as far as God was concerned about John's life. And yet at that moment in John's life, he was making decisions. He was about to make some choices. He was about to allow his thinking to get so messed up that he could not recover from it. And so this is the message that God sent to him. Go tell him what you see and hear. And then tell him, John, don't be offended at how I run my business in your life. Amen. Amen. Nothing's changed On my side, don't let it change on your side. Amen. You're still called. You're still chosen. Stay faithful. Be true. Be a worshiper. Amen. Don't let your environment get into your head because all of us get in these funks sometimes and we get in this place that we think, this is just, I've got to do this and I don't have to do anything but praise Him because if I'll praise Him, He'll help me get through whatever I'm going through. But if I let my thinking get messed up with all this stuff that's being said about me, do you know what? If I listen to everything that people said about me, I would cut my throat a long time ago. And I would have taken myself out of their miserable life. (laughs) 
Now, did it bother me? It does. Does it bother you when people talk about you? It hurts. But behind all the hurt was the hand of God that said, don't let that bother you. Don't let that get into your mind. Don't let that get in your spirit. Don't let it get in your thinking. That's not who you are. That's not what I called you to do. That's not what you are to become. You're better than that. The anointing is still on you. The blessing of God is still with you. Come on, lift your hands, stand to your feet and give him praise right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The enemy of your soul and mine wants us to be so marked by what we are going through right now that we allow it to affect the knowledge of who we are. Amen. He wants to break me down. And he does with that continual coming. He wants to make you think that you cannot stand in the midst of your situation. You cannot make it with all of these problems. You cannot overcome all of these odds. You cannot rise above these circumstances. You can't outlive this mistake. You hear me today. If I've ever had a word for somebody, your mistakes don't need to mark you. They need to help make you. You can either learn from your mistakes or let your mistakes drive you into an early grave and cause you to give up And all the time, God's wanting you to understand, my hand's still on you. The anointing is still there. The blessing is still there. The favor is still there. Amen. Amen. I say things. That's the stuff that drives you nuts. Things. I often wonder why Paul used that word until I got to studying the depth of it and I come to understand, all right, Paul, I get you. I mean, they're just, there's a world of things. There's a world of stuff that happens to us. And only way you can tie, it's just things. It's things, some things. But you know what I found interesting is that the root of of things, the word that is used in the Greek two on two occasions that I have read. The root of that word goes to the base of your thinking and my thinking. Things. T-H-I-N-G-S. Begin with T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G. The root of how things affect me begins in the thinking and in the mind. And so everybody knew it. 
it was seemed to be common knowledge. Agabus had prophesied. He took the mantle or the girdle of, of the apostle Paul and he wrapped it. And he said, just as I'm bound, you're going bound to Jerusalem. And all of these people of the church, they were so fearful. Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't, don't, don't go that way. Go that way. Go, don't go there. Go this way. Don't go to Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 20, this is what Paul said. None of these things move me. I wish we could get that. I, 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 I would that could become a, a mantra for our mind. None of these things are going to move me. My thinking is not going to move me from what I know. My experience is not going to move me from what I've experienced. My knowledge is not going to be changed from what I know. The external things in my life. And so Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8, what, what shall we say to these things? That's a great question. That's what I need to close this service What are you going to say to these things? You know what I want to say? I'm going to live in spite of life. I'm going to live in spite of prisons. I'm going to live in spite of misunderstanding. I'm going to worship in spite of hurt. I'm going to rejoice In spite of pain, I'm going to be a worshiper. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What are you saying to them this morning? Don't give in to it. Step out and say, no, you're lying. God's hand is still on me. His anointing is still with me. I'm walking with God. I'm living for God. I'm serving Him. Come on. Come on, close out the service with a good note of praise. Would you do that? Come on. What shall we say to these things? Neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor things present. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hand of God.